argue. Who says? The taste of nuts and honey, Mr. Scrooge. Ah! Come back. Better things to do. Oh, Mr. Scrooge, Honey Nut Cheerios, it's Christmas. My customary gruel will suffice. Thank you. Yeah, but Honey Nut Cheerios blends golden honey and crunchy nuts. I said, did you say honey and nuts? PD were singing Galway Bay and they were singing along for Christmas morn. Well, we're here for Christmas again. Blake, wake up. Blake. <laughs> Dad, I told you. I need to sleep. Wake up. It's just like Halloween, Blake. And I was thinking since we're sleeping and, you know, I don't sleep. I figured we'd record something else since you're here. All, <laughs> right. Dilla, dilla. all right. All right. Charlie Blown. <laughs> He's such a clown, that Charlie Brown. He's gonna make a fast, just you wait and see. Why is everybody always picking on me? So when I was little, I never, I always thought, that's the coasters. <laughs> and I don't know what begot what first, but, you know, I always heard that song, and I was like, oh, they're doing a version of Charlie Brown, and I think it was not. No. <laughs> you know that song? The, you know, I the do know that song. song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I was also you know, thinking about um I was a kid, you always thought the hang on, hang on, Sloopy. Hang on, Sloopy, hang on, but Snoopy. Uh, yeah. But it's not. It's, it's Sloopy, not Snoopy. There's another, t- there, what's the tune? The, uh, it's a Christmas song. Hang on, Snoopy, Snoop. Uh, it's that beat. He woke up one day and then, 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 and then, 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 Snoopy. It's a Snoopy. It's a march. Snoopy all day, that 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 coming away. <laughs> it's like a '60s. Come on, people know what a part of people in the place. They know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's it's a Snoopy. It's something about the Snoopy March or something. Um, oh crap! I don't know. My my mind's full of mush. But I feel like it's like a one hit wonder or somebody, and they did it. it. It's a it's a song, and it's a it's like a Christmas song, and it's kind of like a it's like a drum 
beat and it's like a marchy kind of a song and Snoopy's in the title. Uh, the March of Snoopy or something like that. People would know it if, I, if, if, if they heard it. But we, we're, we're doing all this Snoopy-centric uh, things in Charlie Brown because we're, we're, we got a very special treat tonight. Christmas time is here. Christmas time is here. Snoopy Christmas song. Let's see. Snoopy Christmas song. It's special one day, but there's something away. Free advertising. Price. That's a commercial. <laughs> Come on, commercials. Is that it? Did you find it? No, that's not it. You bastards. Is it? Is it Snoopy's Christmas by the Royal Guardsmen? Is that what I'm thinking of? Nah, let's I see. Don't hold know, on. Maybe. Let's let's see if this is it. Um, before we get plagiarized by um, plagiarized. <laughs> I mean, we're plagiarizing. We get in trouble for copyright infringement. Um, <laughs> no, this isn't it. Where is it? How? Maybe it how kicks far? in. Maybe yeah, kicks so I'm trying to see if that? it kicks in. Bear with us, <laughs> Yeah. Here it comes. This is it. So... This is called Snoopy's Christmas, and it's by the Royal Guardsmen. And that was what I was thinking of. Uh, I didn't really get to the hook. but um, okay. and, and once we started hear, hearing those bells, I realized that it's been a tradition that I damn forgot to do this year is bring the sleigh bell and have the sleigh bell come in. It's, tra- so I know, it's, tra- it's tradition for you to forget to do it. It is tradition. <laughs> and, and I know that we, do, we did make an augmented version. I think you did last year. Did you do a version with sleigh bells? When I, you did a Christmas I would version? assume that it would be on this episode. Yeah, so so and maybe, maybe the, we're, and maybe the last episode as well. So maybe we're we've already we put it on. So maybe that's what we're, we 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 came in with the sleigh bell Christmas. So hey, we've already talked about five minutes already. I know. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We've got a very special treat for you all. We try to do a little something. We did something for Halloween, and then we did a little lecture in Halloween, and we were saying, you know what? We just covered a Christmas story, Bob Clark's iconic movie. Um, very short ago a couple not too long ago so before christmas hits we thought thought let's do another special and uh what better thing to cover than the very lengthy and heady topic of charlie brown (laughs) (laughs) what what subject could we do in under an hour and a a nice short little bonus treat what's up what could we do oh maybe we could do Charles Schultz and the history of the peanuts. <laughs> yeah, and in a nice 10, 15 minutes, you know, uh, something everyone will be happy about. So we're doing um, 
uh, a uh, Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965, uh, which I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast knows, except maybe the very younger people because those bastards at Apple have bought the rights to it now and it no longer airs on TV. It's aired for like 56 years on television. And Mr. Blake, I'm very, very sore about this. My contention is that around 2020 or so, it was taken down. It no longer is aired on CBS or wherever the heck it used to air for how many, for decades, for longer than some people have been alive. And Apple bought it and now it's on Apple. You have to watch it on Apple TV. And then people, there was such a backlash. They let, I think like PBS air it one year in 2021, maybe they let the licensing go. And then people, there's still a backlash that it doesn't air on TV. So, Apple says says to people, well, you have three days. Well, we'll let you watch it for free. And they change the dates every year. It's like December 11th to the 13th or the 19th to the 21st. And they never gave the rights back to PBS. So after 2021, PBS can't air it anymore. So I worry now. It's like Garfield's Halloween special. Like now that now it's not airing every day on uh, every year on uh, television. Is it going to fall by the wayside and people are going to be in five, ten years be like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, what's I mean, what's I'm, Charlie Brown Christmas? I'm going to venture to say, and you listeners out there who have children maybe can chime in and uh, and, and set me straight or uh, let me know your experiences. I will venture to say that it's probably been quite a few years since young people gave a shit about a Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> you mean in general or watching it on TV? In both. Okay. Uh, I know from the people that I know that have kids, and it's been my complaint for a Charlie Brown Christmas since I was a kid, is that it is boring as all sin. So yeah. I think that, <laughs> I think now in an overstimulated world where variety and uh, kids have endless things to watch that I would venture to say that many children do not watch a Charlie Brown Christmas anymore. Now I, um, I would wonder if it, uh, it seen, I guess it's already a, a, quite a many years ago. They did the live at, not live action, but they did like the animated movie, Charlie yeah. Brown, which was pretty good which um, was interesting how they kept it adhered to kind of to Schultz's original drawings and they kind of made it. I think it was the same people who did um, the um, Ice Age movies. I think it was that company that did it. Uh, and uh, I was wondering if it was tradition that would keep it alive in the sense where people growing up with it would then show it to their kids yeah, much like they I'm would sure with Grinch. I'm sure there's a little bit of that, sure. You know, Shrek the Halls now. Shrek has become a staple um, I think the Toy Story Christmas, which is hilarious, that's become a staple. There's certain ones that have fallen off the zeitgeist. The Twas the Night Before Christmas that I loved growing up, which is the one with the little mice running around to fix the clock for Santa to come. Frosty the Snowman, happy birthday. I don't know if anybody watches that anymore with Jimmy Durante. Must have been some magic in that. You know, certainly <laughs> any of the... <laughs> that's my Jimmy Durante impression. Um, certainly any of the Rankin and Bass um, stop motion, you know, with... Um, Although they air. I see... I think I saw... Yeah, I, I've the seen Burl them Ives, this year, even. Burl Ives and... Um, and Mickey Rooney, you know, like the young, the, it's like the young Santa Claus. So, uh, 
I wonder with, you're right, with traditions changing and people's, with a combination of access to it and a combination of people not watching television really broadly anymore and a combination of you saying the boringness, um, if these are all contentions that turn into uh, people not watching this particular thing much more. Well, here, um, here's, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, t- I'm talking a lot, but let me finish the point by saying to bring it back to exactly what you were saying. Uh, you have told me in the past your your um, critiques or criticisms with Charlie Brown, and though I've never had a problem with a, 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 a Charlie Brown Christmas in particular, I've always found it thoroughly interesting, and I've always been able to keep interested in the half-hour special. I will, for full disclosure, completely agree with you in a broader scope. Um, I've been able to watch um, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, but really beyond that, I've kind of lost interest with like the Pilgrim one, the Arbor Day one, the one where no dogs allowed, the feature films or when they go to the city and all Easter that. Easter Beagle. Easter Beagle. Uh, the presidential, there's one where they get the pilgrims where they come across and they <laughs> yeah. tell, you know, so the Valentine's Day one. I mean, these are things I watched growing up in elementary school. They would put them on. And so I liked that stuff. But I agree with what you're saying. It was a lot for a, a adolescent kid to digest all the symbolism and all the allegory coming in that Schultz was throwing at you. Well, I think inherently what's wrong with the idea of doing the peanuts for children is that Schultz didn't write the comic strip for children. I mean, at the end of the day, like kids, the funnies were not in comic strips and the quote unquote funnies were not written for kids. They were written for the parents that bought the newspaper. Like at the end of the day, like kids didn't really give a shit what happened to Blondie and Dagwood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. (laughs) And the peanuts kids are written from an adult's perspective. Yeah. Like for like a far side or like a so that they're not the way Schultz wrote them were were not for children. So I think I remember years ago listening to uh, Kevin Smith's Smodcast where he's talking to Scott Mosier, and somehow they're talking about the Peanuts. And Kevin Smith's all in on Charlie Brown. And, and who's Scott Mosier? Scott Mosier was the guy who like produced Clerks. Okay. And Mallrats. He was, uh, is one of these Kevin Smith's best friend and, you know, was the producer they met in film school in Toronto, in like Canada or something. Mm. Um, and he's, he produces now other stuff. Um, not Kevin Smith movies. Like he's, he's, uh, he works in the industry. Um, but their podcast is always fun to listen to them for the same reason why people tell us that they like listening to us is like our camaraderie, our history. Uh, our chemistry together. That's why I like listening to the Smodcast if, when it's him and Scott Mosier. Um, it reminds us of us, you know, when you have a best friend that you've known forever. Um, but, you know, Kevin Smith's talking about Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, and, and Scott Mosier says, well, I think for me as a kid, meaning him, and I, and I believe for me as well, and I think for most kids, you kind of sit through the other stuff till you get so that you can get to Snoopy. You know, like you put up with the kids so that you can see Snoopy. And I think, and again, listeners tell me if I'm wrong. I think most of us as children probably uh, felt that way because Snoopy 
is the ch- is the child in the context of the story really for the same reason we talked about there's actually a lot of parallels with the Christmas story <laughs> when I think about it uh, which we did you know earlier this uh, this Christmas season um Snoopy's got the imagination you know not so much in in this one Snoopy's kind of really takes the back seat in the in uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas because it's the first one they do. Yeah, but when he, you're saying like as he grows, as and he grows, change, you get the to red, see, you get the red. Yeah, you get to see him be the World War One red baron going after, to yeah, go after yeah. the and Woodstock shows up. And yeah, all that Woodstock kinda. shows up, and you get to see, you know, like Snoopy, the world through Snoopy's eyes, his imagination. Um, he's the Muppet babies of it, <laughs> and yeah, and he's also silent, and so silent comedy is universal. Um, and so I think as a kid for me, I know for sure, I know for other people, in fact, my buddy Steven years ago when his son was young, who's not young anymore, he's in, he's in his teens now, um, he had, he took all this peanut specials and he basically made a compilation of all the Snoopy moments for his son to watch because Snoopy was the part that I think kids really look watched for. So, uh, you know, I think what's wrong with the idea of doing a peanut special is that, like, I think kids really connect with Snoopy. But in circa 1965, primetime television networks, Coca-Cola, who sponsored the show originally, they weren't interested in children as an audience. Because their parents were the ones that controlled the one television you had in the house in 1965 <laughs> during prime time. So I think the problem with the, and I will say that like, I'm not shitting on a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, Dion knows I have a, a unique relationship with the peanuts and Charles Schultz and that I collect animation art. I have a lot of Snoopy art. And so I've been to the Snoopy, the peanuts museum in Santa Rosa, California a couple of times. Uh, so I'm all, I'm all, I'm all in on Snoopy, but I think what happens with this special and the, and the subsequent specials is that it, it's straddling a line where it's like, it's not really for the kids and it's not really for the adults. Uh, and I think it's wonderful that it made such an impact in 1965 enough that they would air it every year for the next 50 some years. Every, uh, but I think it's a, an oddity that it has become so popular. And I think, you know, it didn't hurt, obviously, that the Peanuts strip was huge. And I think even by by then, Snoopy was probably already in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade as a as a balloon and all that stuff. So uh, uh, it's, I think, a Charlie Brown Christmas is a very odd duck. <laughs> and now as an adult watching it for the first time, and it's an, actually... It's not the first time I've watched it in its entirety in recent years, but it's been a few years since I watched it in its entirety. Uh, you know, and watching it through the lens of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, I definitely have an appreciation for it uh, this time around that I didn't in past viewings. But it's I, th- I think it's a very weird and unique Christmas special. And, um, you know, we're not going to do a two-hour episode on this but we can get into some of the history of it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it has such a unique feel to it and everything. Um, yeah. You come at it in 65 where you're, 
you know, people are used to seeing cartoons on prime time with the Hanna-Barbera lineup of, you know, like Huckleberry Hound or Yogi going to then Flintstones and the Jetsons. And then um, the time slot, this airs in at 730. Uh, I forget what night it's on, but they are, uh, it's the Munsters is usually on. And Munsters was a family show. So they're taking the Munsters off, which was a very popular show at the time and putting this on as a special. And this ends up doing so well that it comes in number two only ahead of uh, behind Bonanza. And Bonanza was a huge show at the time that is a very great Western show for the whole family. So it it is interesting in a sense of this coming out being a cartoon show and it breaking a lot of the conventions where a lot of the, the cartoons I already mentioned had laugh tracks. This doesn't have a laugh track, which it doesn't really strike me until it was brought to my attention. Like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really have a laugh track. And Schultz was one of the people that said, like, he didn't think that people needed to be told when to laugh, which is interesting. It's only a half hour long. Originally, Coke wanted it an hour long, but they just didn't have the time to stretch it to an hour. Uh, I... It it is a weird beast, as you're saying. I agree with you. Where is it? It's not really made for children because, like you said, children read the the the, the funnies. There were certainly growing up Dick Tracy or uh, other Little Orphan Annie, whatever was in the papers at the time. Little Nemo kids did read them, but a lot of times I think the strips were geared kind of towards adults. Certainly moving out of the 30s and 40s, and when you get into the strips that are in the 50s, and you know things when you move into the 60s and 70s, and you get things like um, uh, Calvin and Hobbes or 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 uh, Farside or BC or Be- Beetle Bailey, those are or even Garfield, Jim Davis, those are geared towards adults as well as kids. And in 65. You know, you do have this era of the, the you know, it's before uh, you, you get the turn where the 60s become the 60s as we, you know, romanticize about it in the late years of the, the hippies and all that. You still have the 60s and I still look at it as the consumerism era of like the Mad Men suits on Fifth Avenue and that kind of, you know, ad agencies and stuff. So... It, it's interesting the, the it going towards the the commercialization of the of what Christmas has become, and the duality of it on one side making this very big comment about the commercialization of what Christmas and the holidays have become in general of America and capitalism, and uh, trying to speak out and have some sort of religious meaning behind it to let people know that hey let's remember what these holidays are supposed to be for, but then not making it sound too hypocritical though it is sponsored by coca-cola yeah, it is a giant commercial for Coca-Cola. And, yeah <laughs> and at the same time schultz uh, this is something maybe jim davis learned from schultz jim davis sold every right imaginable to gal to, to for garfield you can say the same thing about schultz talking about the problems with commercialization and consumerism blah 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 and i'm not trying to cast aspersions or port fingers and i'm just making observations where schultz is doing the same thing where he sold you know charlie brown and the peanuts were everywhere at the time uh and he was very very lucrative the stats of you know that when when the comic and the things were coming out so i do like the idea of him pointing the finger and you know at himself and us about the commercialization of certain holidays which you see and you know the the uh, fat of aluminum Christmas trees that we might we I think Blake and I our generation missed but our parents generation they got to see that and putting the finger at commercialization because that was happening at the time um, and before I stop talking it is kind of amazing to think at the time that 
the stats for uh, I'm trying to find the stats of the comic at the time, but the comic was was he was making like a billion dollars a year. The comic was making at the time uh, while it was running, and um, he was making I think oh you know at least like ten or twenty million dollars a year, which is really unheard of for somebody. You think about at the time of this was airing, uh, or when the comic was coming out in in strips and being syndicated, and. Uh, to think that he, Schultz was, uh, what for all he was doing, this thing was going out for fifty years, and oh yeah, okay, so it was in two thousand six hundred papers in seventy five countries. It was translated into twenty one languages. It went for fifty years. Uh, he did seventeen thousand eight hundred ninety seven strips. And you think about the merchandising, the product endorsements, uh, the revenue was over a billion a year. Schultz was earning between 30 to 40 million annually. Uh, and Schultz only took, in 50 years, he only took one vacation. And that was in 1997 to celebrate his 75th birthday. He uh, went away for, I think, 10 days. And that was the only time the strip had reruns up until his death. He died in uh, 1999, I think it is, he passed away. And uh, when he died, the strip superseded him by a day. Uh, I'm sorry, he died in um, 2000, February the 12th, 2000. And he knew that the strip was ending. And since you do the strips in advance, uh, he died. And then the day after his death was the last strip, which is pretty amazing. So um, that was a lot of info to dump on you all. But that's just to think about the effect of how much he was doing stuff and how in the Americana the strip was and how familiar it was for people. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the character of Snoopy is iconic. Yeah. Even for people that don't care or know or yeah or even kids i would imagine that maybe have yeah. never maybe have never seen this they would maybe they would maybe know snoopy if they saw it or charlie sure. brown for that matter yeah um and how he how he dresses in snoopy on the red uh doghouse i mean sure. it was blue in this but I mean, it's, it's like all it's the I- iconic imagery yeah uh internationally like you and i have brought up the bat symbol from the 1989 uh, Keaton Batman, Burton yeah. Batman, or the Superman symbol. I mean, I think it's kind of iconography, icon- if that's even a word. Sure. Or we even say, you know, like we've pointed out the amazing, the amazingness of the fact that when you say Dracula to somebody or Frankenstein, the images that come to their mind are Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's they're iconic. I mean, there's a Peanuts Museum, a Snoopy Museum in Japan. You know, it's, yeah. it's international. Um, the the special comes about uh, because Lee Mendelson, who was a producer, and uh, and Bill Melendez, who was an animator, they make a documentary uh, with the f- to sell to television an hour long documentary about Charles Schultz. Up until that point, nobody was interested in animating the Peanuts as popular as they were. And, and as, they got on the map for doing a documentary on Billy Mays, right? The baseball, and that's how Schultz got him. And then I think they did a – that's how Vince Guaraldi gets into it too. Or, yeah, yeah. That's how they, yeah. meet, they meet Vince Guaraldi. I mean, Schultz was very much into sports. He When he created the 
when he bought the land that is where the Penis Museum is now, right in the middle of the next to the museum is an ice rink that he put that he bought, and that's where he would go every day for breakfast. There wow. was like there's a concession stand there. He had coffee, and there's a table there that you can't sit at, which was Sparky's table, which is what everybody called uh, Schultz. And he went there every day for breakfast. And then next to that is a baseball field where I think little, you know, and these are where like the little leagues of hockey and baseball in the town play. But it's at the Schultz, you know, it's at the Peanuts, the Charles Schultz Museum. Um, so now he was, you, you, you've been to all these places and it's interesting I have because been. I find that so fascinating where Schultz was born in 1922 and he died, like I said, February 12th, 2000. So he'd be 101 this year. Uh, in 2023 of this recording. Uh, and then him being interested in art very young, um, I've, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not was a thing in the 30s, and he submitted a, a picture of his own dog to Ripley's Believe It or Not, which they ran, and that was his first entry into art. He's in World War II. He serves as a machine gunner. Uh, I think he sees action at the very end of the war, maybe in Europe, which would have been the Battle of the Bulge, gets out, becomes a strip artist and stuff like that. Uh, does different things, starts with the thing called what little folks. And then that, that little folks is syndicated for a couple of years. And then when he ends up getting that into other papers, he has to turn, he has to change the name of little folks and little folks then becomes the peanuts. And that's how we get the peanuts. And, uh, segueing into what I was just saying to you is that you've been to this place. He ends up getting this place. He does, you know, the, the strip for how many years and, I remember seeing a documentary on Schultz uh, from PBS like 10 or 15 years ago because everything runs together. But I found it amazing, like his property, right, where it's like he had his house, but then detached from his house was this beautiful little uh, house, like one bedroom kind of little like or like studio apartment. That was his studio, right, like with yeah. windows in the he forest lit, and stuff. He, his house was nearby, and he did a lot. Of, he had an office there at his house, but then on the grounds of the museum – there was like a a small building where his he had an office and that's where he did a lot of the strips and um, I've been into the office. Wow! Uh, they've they've taken some of the like if you go into the museum they've kind of recreated his office inside the museum with the stuff like his table and his drawing board that were in his office. But and it's you, in California, right? Yeah, it's in Northern California. And if you go into the little house. Where he actually worked, which is his really his office, not the recreation of his office. You still see his office as was, but I think they've moved the stuff from his home office into the actual office. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that was in his actual office is now inside the museum on display. And the stuff that's inside his actual office are from his home office. It's almost like us when we saw the the Walt Disney office. Remember when they- Yeah. Move that, and, and we saw the exhibit that was traveling at the Ronald Reagan Library. They had the exhibit set up, and we got to see the interior of the office. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it's then like this that. is what his you office looked like. You, you know? see that a lot if you go to the um, if you go to uh, the uh, Film Academy, the, the Academy Museum in in LA. I don't know if it's a traveling thing or if it's uh, forever, but they have a there's a huge Godfather exhibit, and they have Don Corleone's office. Oh wow! <laughs> Recreated as on, with the desk in Long yeah. Island, like his little yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on display. Um, the museum is very cool. Uh, there's all you know. Obviously, there's there's fixed exhibits that are there year round, and then there's a there's a, a, a museum. There's an exhibit that switches. The first time I went there, 
it was like peanuts by starlight and it was all his on display were all the original arts for you know hundreds and thousands of his uh of the comic strips that take place at night mm-hmm. where they're like looking up at the stars and you know philosophizing you know him and linus and uh and snoopy and stuff and then the last time i went i guess was an anniversary it was 1999 i mean 2019 maybe so it was the anniversary of 69 which I think is when Woodstock was created. So uh, it was all that, that exhibit. The character. Yeah, the character, and I, I would assume named after the, the event. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it was that, that uh, one was about, was about Woodstock. But um, the museum's cool. Uh, so they, Lee Mendelssohn and, and Bill Melendez make this documentary, hour long documentary about Schultz and uh, television isn't interested in peanuts enough that they never sell the documentary. That's crazy. They, they make this documentary that never airs music by the great jazz. So yeah. Trio Vince Guaraldi. Being from being that Schultz lives in Northern California. Vince Guaraldi is a, is a San Francisco jazz uh, musician and uh, Lee Mendelson finds him uh, and is a, it becomes a fan of his, and they ask Mendelssohn to write some music for the documentary. And um, the idea that nobody really wanted an animated Peanuts, you know, there was a car commercial that had Lucy and Linus. Yeah, for the Ford Falcon. And that My was... My grandparents that, actually owned a Ford Falcon. Yeah, and it's, it's, black, it's black and white, and it's them walking around. And that's the first, that's the first time we see the Peanuts characters animated. And then there's something like two minutes of animated footage that they make for the documentary. And they have Vince Guaraldi <clears throat> uh, score the documentary with jazz. And this is where he writes uh, the theme to the Peanuts, which is what, Lucy and Linus, I think? Yeah, Linus and Lucy. Linus it's the iconic, uh, you know, the that Yeah, so... He writes that, which is Linus and Lucy, for the documentary, but the documentary never sells. And then we're getting into fast forward, 65, what is it, Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, all this for, is around like 61, 62, I think. Yeah, and, and Coca-Cola is looking for something. I mean, because this is, people forget, but <clears throat> I, I like to remind people back in the day, you know, you'd have entire hours you know, you have a, a, a whole hour, you know, you can get like, you know, Jack Benny was hosted, uh, sponsored by Lucky Strikes or, uh, you know, uh, Ozzy and Harriet were, were hot spot or like the Silver Company. So that wasn't common. Colgate Comedy Hour or, uh, you know, Texaco, Milton Burrow was Texaco. So, you know, you would go to these people and it, it's actually a pretty cooler idea than as opposed to nowadays where you have to have everybody and their mother having commercials put in the spots one person would just sponsor you and at some point if you mentioned their product whatever your your uh obligation was if it was kodak you'd have a camera around your neck if it was a hot spot or dumont maybe you're in the kitchen or if it was a milk you're drinking a lot of stuff so they go to coke and they're like you know we're and coke's looking i guess coke is looking for a sponsor for something and they say to doesn't coke say to them like do you have anything ideas for Christmas? Yeah, they said something. I don't remember what Lee Mendelssohn's on the phone with Coke for, but uh, at some point the Coke people said, "Well, do you ever do you have an I have any ideas for a, like a peanuts?" Because they knew he had done the peanut this documentary. And he said, "Well, would you would you 
do you have any ideas for a Peanuts Christmas special? And he's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you say. You're like, you're like, sure. So then he calls up Charles Schultz and he's like, great news. I just sold a Peanuts Christmas special. And uh, Charles Schultz said, what's that? He's like, I don't know, but we're going to write it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, um, okay. <laughs> and this was a Thursday and I guess he thought at the time that they would have enough time to, don't worry, but then... Coke comes back before they finish their phone call, and Coke's like, you know, just have us have us a treatment or outline by Monday morning. Yeah, and that's what four days away. So that's when he calls Schultz up, and he's like, you know, we need to start thinking stuff really quickly. So he goes up to California because I think he's in LA at that time. Probably brings Bill Melendez, who is an animator and who eventually is the only person that Schultz will trust with animating uh, the Peanuts characters. And they go up there and they knock out this kind of spec script or outline. Um, it's Schultz who kind of says he wants the Linus scene where they talk about the meaning of Christmas and, and quote from the Bible. And everybody's like, well, I don't know if that's such a good idea, Sparky. And uh, and he's, he's like, well, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? So <laughs> what, a, what a great comeback. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, people, you know, I, I, I love that. And that growing up for me. That was always the highlight of it, where they get serious and they kind of remind you about the nativity and the star and the manger and their what are they quoting like Luke passage? Um, I forget what they're what, what exactly they're uh, quoting there. Um, uh, but it's just it's so interesting. You add that in because this was stuff that then later on turned everyone off. I mean, the sponsor was turned off by it, one of many things. But it's just like why. In the mid-60s, why would you add all this in? This is like a recipe well, for Well, yeah, I mean, like we talked about with A Christmas Story, I mean, this was a tough sell. Yeah. You know, they were trying to get something going with the Peanuts that wanted to animate them. Nobody was interested in it. Just like the idea of doing a 1940s nostalgic movie in 1983 with a voiceover was not a huge selling point. Um and they end up, they do this, and you have to take into account that Melendez is now tasked with, he ends up directing it uh lee mendelson is executive producer and executive producer in television is a main creative force um not so much not as much in in feature films but executive producer is like the head of the show is the showrunner kind of on most times in a television broadcast so uh lee mendelson and and uh charles schultz and bill Melendez take on this task and melendez is tasked with having to figure out how to animate these still images. You know, we don't think about that, but like, you know, the, the Peanuts characters have these short little stubby legs. They're basically just like feet attached to the bottom of the body. So, And it's very 2D as well. It's not, they yeah. come across as, they're not like, at least with Garfield, they kind of look three-dimensional within the frame. But yeah. they're very stylized, 2D, stubby. Very kind of basic in a way, yes. very particular, so black and white. Melendez <clears throat> has to figure out how to make those little feet work when they're walking. He's got to figure out, we only ever see Charlie Brown from foreground four looking right at the camera and from profile. So we see that little curl, but he's got to figure out like, what does that little curl look like when he's turning In the turn, head? yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got to figure out all these kind of things and obviously he uses charles schultz's imagery as like a bible because when you look at melendez's animations for uh and he was the director so he didn't sit there and draw every single thing but he had to come up with how they were going to animate the show and what it was going to look like you could tell that he holds the peanuts characters the way schultz draws them 
in such high esteem that like there's no separation. You would not know that Charles Schultz didn't draw the animations. They look exactly the way Schultz would have drawn them. And uh, I remember being on the train when the the live action, not live action, I keep saying it, but that, that movie came out that was from the people who did um, Ice Age because the company Blue, I forget the name of the name of the company, but they used to, their, their office was in White Plains, yeah. which is up the road from where I live about 15 minutes. So I remember being on the train one night and, and it was standing room only. And I forget why, but for some reason I started talking to this kid next to me, younger guy. And he told me, you know, he was in the business. I'm in the business. He works in that. And he was telling me he worked for them and that they were in post-production for the peanuts movie. And we were talking about, I was like, oh, that's really cool. It sounds awesome. And he was talking about how particular it was, you know, the caveats of like the Schultz estate one wanting, you know, you couldn't, augment or change how the the peanuts looked because they're so iconic but how much problems in animation it it they had to fix and get down so that it looked authentic three-dimensionally just like what you're saying for when they turn and all that right yeah. and all that but have it still look like the schultz art not deviate in any way but at the same time be three-dimensional. It was very hard. You know, it was very hard for them to get that look for the computers to be able I to understand. I will say, like, Bill, Bill Melendez is really... Well, Lee Mendelson, obviously, as a behind-the-scenes business producer part. But from a creative standpoint, Bill Melendez is really an unsung hero for the Peanuts gang and Schultz in that, you know, everything we know, he ended up... He directed all the Peanuts specials up until he, when he died. Um which I, I can't remember what year it was, but... Uh, had an cr- awesome, awesome mustache. Had a sweet mustache. Mustache mustache of legend. And you own a lot of his art, don't you? Yeah, lot, you I have a couple some, pieces. Like, he would do what they call was like the, the, I think his key art, maybe, and it's like he would draw key... Chuck Jones used to do the same thing yeah. he directed, which is like he would call do like the main poses, and then the and then hired animators would animate the frames in between those... In betweeners. Pose. But... Um, and this was a, a thing where they used to, where with the onset of uh, animation on television, they kind of, war- Hanna-Barbera was the one to pioneer that, going from 24 frames a second to 12 frames a second to, to keep costs down. And also, was they, they ended up calling it limited animation, where if, if you have 24 frames per second on uh, f- film, you'd have to draw 24 frames, you know, and that's how it was done up until this time. And Hanna-Barbera realized, you know what, if we, if we to keep everything cheap, if we only draw 12 frames and we only animate a hand or a mouth or whatever, we can keep costs down instead of having to every frame draw from top to bottom everything the entire way. And I think that... Uh, somebody called up Bill Hanna to ask him any advice. And of course he didn't give any advice. He didn't want to give any advice because they were competitors, but this is what they use in this special. They use the 12 limited animation, the 12 frames a second. But I think where I'm going with the Bill Melendez stuff is that the Snoopy purists, a lot of them don't like all this new peanut stuff, like them, that movie you're talking about. Yeah. And the new shows on iTunes. And it's not because it doesn't look like Peanuts or whatever. It's that Bill Melendez brought an attitude to the, especially to the character of Snoopy. He ended up being the voice of Snoopy through all those things. 
initially just being t- like temping in the noises and then them just saying, well, let's just use them. And they kind of sped them up and made them high pitched. So he's, when you hear Snoopy's laugh, it's Bill Melendez making that noise and all those. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a certain attitude that Bill Melendez brought to Snoopy. And so uh, the real Snoopy lovers, the the purists of the character Snoopy, they don't like a lot of the new stuff because it's not that Snoopy. It's not Bill Melendez is Snoopy. There's a new, you know, I know I've heard them, I've heard people say like, well, that's just, that's not Snoopy. It's almost like when you hear somebody else's voice coming out of Kermit the Frog, you know, like that's not Kermit, you know, but yeah, this yeah. is like more of not just the voice. It's the attitude. And it's the, the attitude and the yeah. way they treat you know, like Snoopy only verbalizes things in a certain way, and now he verbalizes things in a different way. You know, it's like really a change change of how you treat that the character itself and how that character expresses himself has changed. From and have they really gone on to do? Um, I mean, like you know, Schultz ends up dying the last panel, or 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 Strip comes out the day after he dies. So he he did it for his entire life. Um, did they continue doing strips? I think of other people, and then the broader question is: aside from that movie, the Ice Age people, Blue, whatever it is, did they end up doing? I forget. Have other specials come out recently? Like I don't know about specials, but I know that there's new series on i on iTunes, like on uh, Apple like on cartoon? Apple Apple Plus. Yeah, that's kind of weird. There's like new episodes of like a stupid show and because i forget like, that. like when happiness is a warm blanket like when that came out and stuff like because i remember growing up with these specials and like uh, we've already talked about some were hot and cold to me around the time uh who framed roger Rabbit came out in 1988 they did a live action one with uh snoopy's uh cousin or brother spike yeah and that's very weird because it's like live action they did it in the style of um who framed roger rabbit where it takes place in the real world Spike is hitching from the desert and he gets picked up with a lady who has like a nice old fashioned red pickup and uh, they go on this adventure and it's very weird. And like you say, it's kind of boring for myself. And so some of the stuff is just kind of, you know, I've always been particularly fond of the Christmas thing because, you know, I had a Christmas tape in 1985. My parents got a VCR and they were taping stuff all crazy. So I had a tape that started off with this into uh towards the night before christmas the the mouse thing with the 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 clock tower into the grinch that stole christmas into frosty the snowman i had a tape full so every every year i'd watch this with the original commercials you know the the you know so i have a lot of memories connected to all this well i mean by the by heart kind of going back in time now in this conversation uh so coca-cola commissions this they have x amount of time to put it together they, they write, got like six months. They write the script. They animate the thing. I think, you know, if you look at the backgrounds when you watch this, they're gorgeous. It's like this weird watercolory thing. I don't know this for sure, but I would speculate that the reason why those backgrounds and stuff look like that were for like limited time, limited budget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if we create less detail, there's less things we have to we have to like animate to and all that stuff. But it creates this really beautiful iconic imagery that obviously starts in the comic strip but now in motion is its own thing um again can't emphasize enough how many like how much it has going against it the fact that they want to animate this the fact that they want to throw in this bible verse the fact that they want a like a really 
straight up jazz score. I mean, sure, the Flintstones. You know, like the theme. The theme is kind of jazzy, but like not in not in the way that Vince Guaraldi would score it. But Vince Guaraldi, this is a as someone who has spent now a decade of time, like interviewing composers and concentrating on film music. I mean, is there, you know, John Williams music for Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, you know, is there a more perfect, iconic marriage of music to story and imagery than Vince Guaraldi's music for the Peanuts? Like, no, especially the, the like his peanuts, the the Linus and Lucy theme, and then this recording, which has become so iconic for the Christmas special that you now hear on the radio all the time, where people play separately. Vince Guaraldi, his trio being these jazz people, and the Hoyt Curtin, who did the Hanna Barbera music, as iconic, and I absolutely love Hoyt's stuff that he did with Flintstones, Jetsons, and all the way through with Johnny Quest and Scooby Doo. Like, to bring in Vince Guaraldi and to do this stuff with Guaraldi. And I think Guaraldi went on to do other things with the Peanuts, too, right? He but did, like, me, 17 specials. I mean, he died prematurely in 1976, I think, at, like, oh, the age okay. of, like, 58 or something. Like, he died. It's such a shame. He died young uh, in the 70s. But he ended up doing something like scoring 17 of these things. And, uh, and this is so iconic. Like, I mean... I was driving the other day and I was listening to one of those radio stations that just play Christmas songs from like Thanksgiving to Christmas Day and one of those day, 24 hours a day. And they only play in like five songs. And it's like uh, they were playing the Vince Guaraldi stuff, you know, for the, and I was thinking, aside from you do now hear the Mr. Grinch, you're a mean one, miss, you really are a fuck. Like you hear that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you really hear, you hear that song. But aside from that, you, you, uh, you know, I, I'm at a loss to try to think of other Christmas special. I mean, you get like Jimmy Durante's, like Frosty the Snowman. Like you get yeah, that. Yeah, he gets in but, red, you know, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, but I mean, but like Rudolph wasn't made for. I mean, that's uh, the singing cowboy Gene Autry singing. It's like it's just amazing to think the soundtrack. It's like us playing a Nightmare Before Christmas or us playing like the Home Alone, like or the yeah. Bur- hearing and Batman's iconic score. For the most part, I mean, sure, some of it he's vamping. So recognizable. He's, but some of it he is vamping off of uh, Little Drummer Boy. Yeah. Uh, they end up, Lee Mendelssohn ends up writing lyrics for Christmas Time is Here um, uh, because Geraldi wrote that as an instrumental, but they're yeah. like, you know, we'd like to have a song in the show. So, and that's so iconic having these little kids. Christmas time is in the fusion, like you're saying, of the traditional Christmassy music with the jazz of the time, yeah. which was, you know, very of its age. You know, it, I, I think it's, it, but you're like you're saying, but it leads to skepticism. So much of it isn't actually based in traditional Christmas carols, and there's yeah. nothing inherently Christmassy about the music, but the, because we equate it with certain imagery. I mean, one of my favorite pieces of music by Garaldi is 
called skating, which ironically yeah. is not what they're skating to at the beginning of the show because they're they're skating to Christmas times here. But it's the snowflakes, right? Where yeah, when they're, they're, they got this thing, and there's something so Christmassy about it, and the way the drums and the brushes on the drums, it does kind of feel like snow, but. If you listen to that completely isolated, you'd never heard it before. I don't know if you would associate it with Christmas, but there's something. It is know, visual. There's no yeah, sleigh bells to it. You know what I mean? There's none yeah. of like the hallmarks, but something. Nothing's some, giving it away. That somehow, it's Christmas. somehow, Geraldi and Mendelssohn and Melendez, they create this amazing marriage of Schultz's imagery. And the music just, they're inter, it's interlocked, man. Like, you cannot think of the Peanuts without hearing, you know, Linus and Lucy or, you know, some of the other stuff. When you hear certain jazz, even if it's not Vigraldi, like, you'll think of it. You know, like, you'll, like it conjures up imagery of the Peanuts. And it's just amazing. Just It's just like shows the power of what music brings to like the medium of, of cinematic storytelling, even if it's just a, 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 a television special. So they make this thing and then they screen it. Well, they only, they make it, they finish it 10 days before it's supposed to air, but they watch it. So them, they're under the gun. Yeah. But they watch it themselves. And like, Holy shit. Like we messed up like this. Thing. And this is another thing. Like you're saying, like everybody was aside from, I forget who the one person was. There's one buddy, the lone person, saying, no, this is pretty good. But I don't know about Schultz, but everybody is like, no, this kind of sucks. Yeah, even Mendel- cheap. Even Mendelssohn and, and, and Melendez are like, man, we really screwed this up. They chose to use actual children's voices, which was kind of unheard of at the time. It was usually adults voicing child characters in animation. Yeah. They bring in real children. Some of them are so young that they can't read the script, so they're feeding them the lines half a line at a time. And that's why it kind of sounds that disconjointed when you hear, like, um, Charlie Brown's sister Lucy talk, or, yeah. you know, it's like, all I want is my, all I want is what I'm calling for me. All I want is my fair share. It's like, you can tell <laughs> that it's, you know, so... That sounds amateurish. That the score we talked about, the the missing a laugh track, which I guess was a staple for the time of certain cartoons, and the animation uh, is is crude. Yeah, it's it's a stylized, but I mean, but I mean, you hold it up against Hanna Barbera of the time, that's just as crude. But it's the stylization of, yeah. you know, how it's looking versus you know because you can't. You look at the stuff that MGM and Warner were doing that they were putting on in theaters that they were spending $50,000 a short as opposed to what they were making for Huckleberry Hound, Flintstones or whatever. I would argue that some of the Flintstones and, and uh, maybe not Jetsons, but the Huckleberry Hound and all those guys look just as crude and stuff like Johnny Quest or Scooby look far better, but they... they People of the Peanuts for this 25-minute short were really objecting. Um, Coca-Cola was pissed. CBS was pissed. Yeah. Uh, like fact, you said, Mendelssohn was and, pissed. You know, they all thought it was bad. And, and uh, you know, they say basically the only reason why they think CBS ended up airing it was because it was so close to the air date that it was already in, like, the TV listings. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't go back because they've already committed – They've already committed to the, the to promotion that it's listed and that it's going to, you know, and it's and it's uh, replacing the Munsters that night. And it's crazy. Everyone's thinking like, okay, at most this is going to be a hit and miss. Like we'll air, and, we'll air it once, we'll take the loss, and, and then nobody be, it, will ever it, see it again. 
Yeah. Um, and that's just crazy to think that uh, they end up airing this thing that has this really great, for me personally, this great morality in it of everybody getting lost in the commercialization and what, and then, you know, Charlie Brown, who's this poor inherent loser who can never hit the football. Um, you know, I can identify with this kid. He's always getting the shit end of the stick. Whoa. People are always making fun of him. That's another reason why I think, you know, when you, when you watch it, like it's not like they, you know, Charles didn't. Schultz didn't write it for kids because the kids are so mean to Charlie Brown. Like yeah, Charlie like I knew Brown, girls growing up. You yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. asshole. You, <laughs> you fucking take it in the ass and you suck, you fuck. You, you didn't know, get the right tree. A, you never get anything right, you jerk. You're such a fucking moron. It's like I knew, you know, it's like these girls are terrible. You're a fucking blockhead, Charlie Brown. And he's like, I'm a creep. You know, it's like, oh, crazy. Part of that comes from that Schultz, when he was in elementary school, ended up skipping two grades. And so at a very young age, he's the youngest by a lot, by two years uh, in his class. So he didn't have friends, you know, like his body wasn't developed as much as the other other classmates. So like he wasn't good at sports in comparison. And so you see a lot of uh, how I think Schultz thought of his own, how he was treated as a kid in the way people treat Charlie Brown in the, in the, in the comic strip and in the show, but they're so mean to him in this show. And that's what's like, I don't think, I, I just don't think that that was, I don't think those kinds of, those pieces of dialogue were written for, for the children, for Kids. the children watching. They were, for, well, I mean, even, you know, this iconic 1985 Christmas tape I have that I, you know, I still have that I ran the hell out of and then I ended up transferring it to DVD and I have the DVD version. It's like, even like at the beginning, you know, with, with, um, her what is it lucy in her little psycho uh, psychiatry booth and this is stuff that was in the comic before there's certain things that air that they take panels or strips out that they 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 borrowed to put in the special and her going through all the phobias and i remember yeah. trying to understand that and um i was of the age of this growing up where they had deleted there's this um this deleted scene where between them catching snowflakes and her going to her booth there's a scene where they were trying to th- throw snowballs at a tin can on the fence i had never seen that i didn't even know that it was gone until i think 1997 they'd taken it out for what close to 35 years or so and i think it was just for timing it wasn't for any kind of like they took the coca-cola references out because you know coca-cola wasn't the sponsor anymore and it was bought so at the beginning when uh, Snoopy throws them while they're ice skating. Charlie goes into the tree and snow falls on him. You never seen where Linus goes. Linus hits a Coca Cola sign yeah, and it's like a billboard. Charlie Brown hits the tree and it says like a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then yeah. Linus gets flung. He hits a sign and it says brought to you by like the people in your hometown that bottle Coca Cola. It's great, you know. And then at the very end, which I didn't know either, is that when it's um when they're saying uh they're all singing um Hark the Hello Angels Sing. It fades out very quickly, and I never knew why, but it's because they had to fade out quickly because after they they give the logo, they say, and everyone from the Coca-Cola company, thank you, and then the song actually finishes. So if you go on YouTube, you could find the original Prince. You can find the original ending where it, they end the song as opposed to it fading out, and when you get the title card of in Coca-Cola, people, thank you, and then the one at the beginning where Linus goes into the Coca-Cola sign. Uh, I mean, it would be still cool for them to keep that in on a, as an alternate they've added in i have a dvd release of it from i don't know a couple of years ago and 
Um, since it's on Apple now, I don't have Apple, so of course I can't watch it because those bastards. But they've added back in the thing with Linus and his blanket, yeah. and them trying to get the tin, tin can off. And they go, "What are you gonna do when you, you know, you, you outgrow your blanket?" He's like, "I'll turn it into a sports coat or something like." It's pretty funny. Uh, but it's um, it always had these adult ideas, and I completely agree with you that it was they were making this for the adults in the room as well. And um, you know, them trying to come up with an idea of what the story could be about. Um, Mendelssohn talks about him reading Hans Christian Andersen's The Fir Tree to his children. So they were thinking maybe the tree could be the, the, the idea. Them putting on a play and them trying to figure out for the f- true meaning of Christmas. And then Charlie Brown's able to bring these people together. He gets the tree. The tree, they br- send him to an aluminum tree farm, which was a big thing back in the day. Evidently, aluminum trees were baked from the late 50s to like 1965. And some people even cite this special as a credit that really killed the aluminum Christmas tree industry. Um, I would be amazed to see what an aluminum Christmas tree looks like nowadays, how realistic they look or how they hold up because they sound very dangerous and you know, who the hell knows. But you can understand at the time, the early 60s with all the consumerism, uh, you know, the ad agencies that you saw made popular in Mad Men, this was a concern for people. Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know, wasn't Dave Seville an ad guy, yeah. you know? And uh, that was another thing, you know, a, a sidebar where I was listening to this radio station and I'm listening to David Seville and he's like, wow, he's a real fucking asshole to these Chipmunks. <laughs> you know, he's lucky these things are able to s- speak English, sing in tune. And he's screaming at him. He's on the verge of beating them because they they won't stay in line. It's like, well, you know, Al, you know, you're really asking for a lot, uh, Mr. Seville. But anyway, um, so I like the I always like the religious aspect that Linus comes up, lights please, and he gives a little speech and well, explains that's the thing. To I mean, Linus who is uh, on the surface the most immature of them all. He sucks his thumb. He has the blanket. Mm-hmm. He's always in the context of the peanuts. Always been like the philosopher. And he's the really religious and the most abuse. wise of yeah. the uh, of the of the of the group. And he's kind of the one that embodies a lot of, I guess, in the comic strip, a lot of the religious um, stuff. And um, you know, everybody has their own little template, which is funny too, because like you said, making Snoopy silent, they I, they thought ideas of maybe having him talk and all that, but they turn him into like a Harpo Marx, and they keep him the silent guy. And and uh, you know, I've always had a love hate relationship with Snoopy because sometimes he can be a real dick. Well, he's fresh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's fresh, you know, the beagle and stuff like that. And you know, he's he's very he knows what he wants, you know. And I always feel like too, like his. His doghouse is almost like a TARDIS where you can go in and yeah. it's like huge, you know, and then he comes That's out. That's what I mean. Those... Like he embodies kind of, I think, for kids, the imagination and everything. Because the, the, the actual children, Charlie Brown and the kids in the movie, they're really kind of like the adults. You know, they talk like adults a lot of the time. Um, you know, they don't play the way we're talking about with a, a Christmas story. The way, you know, like the... When we were talking about how, like, when you go out there and play Army or Teenage Mutant Turtles or whatever, like, when you played, you saw it. Like, you lived, you were living it. The, and that the, we talked about in the context of the way Ralphie da- daydreams and A Christmas Story. When he daydreams, it's like he's fighting, you know, Black Bart and all that stuff. You know, the the kids in the in this don't do that, you know. And even when we get to, like, the Halloween special, you know. Snoopy does. In the Halloween special, Snoopy goes after the Red Baron, and he's yeah. behind enemy lines, and he's drinking a root beer at the French And it's really <laughs> the French yeah, it's such <laughs> weird asides. Like you're saying you have these 
straight <laughs> philosophy debates or whatever the plot is of the a the a plot of what's going on with the Charlie Brown lives, and then you get into this B plot and it's really this crazy. He's up in the air, and he gets you know, and he and he gets with his goggles on, and then he gets hit and he crashes and he's behind enemy lines with the French resistance. It's yeah. like it's it's so I, crazy. I mean, for he takes Snoopy takes a little bit of a backseat in this one, being the first one. I mean, we see him that he decorates his house, and then we see him at the at the auditorium. I mean, he has yeah. some moments with Lucy kisses her. She's like, I've been kissed by a dog, you know. And all that stuff, but get me so, some episeptic, get me iodine. <laughs> so we don't, Blah. so we don't get as much of that in this one as we get in future uh, specials with Snoopy. But but that only could be because they're just sounding him out. Yeah, you know they're, you know, they're trying to find his footing. Um, but uh, ultimately, like I said, he iconic. I mean, the peanuts are iconic. You know, the the the. This special has, like you said, up until recently, aired every once, at least once a year, yeah, uh, f- for over half a century, and in like every language, yeah, that you can think of that where there's a television, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every, you know, every country has aired it from the Asian countries to European to Africa. Like it's, it's well, it's so it's so accessible. You change the language, it's still kind of the problems. It's not American-centric per se. I guess if you take the original religion away, yeah. I mean, you know, if, depending if you're not Christian with with the with with uh, with Christmas, um, you know, people can understand the problems of Charlie Brown and being the inferiority complexes <laughs> versus you know uh, consumerism and, and understanding tradition and, and having people accept you for what you are and being accepted by the larger classes and embracing and coming together in any kind of holiday season to enjoy family and friends. And I think that's what's something that ends up when this airs, this uh, gets, a, I think, a 47 or 50% share, which means half of all TVs in the country that night were watching. I mean, you only had three networks really at the time. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, and then you had some affiliates and stuff. But to just think that, aside from Bonanza, which got number one, yeah, but uh, but that was like the staple that, that week. You know, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. it was up against Bonanza. Yeah, um, this did pretty well, and then they aired it the next year, and it still did number two. And number one was Bonanza, so again, it was great. And then, like you said, it subsequently is aired every year until freaking the evil people at Apple. <laughs> bought it and took till, it off till that asshole tim apple took it off. yeah that tim tim and his apples um and this thing you know and it spawned such a a huge you know um i mean it already had an empire but certainly in the cartoon empire where you had how many more specials coming out yeah you know uh and as well as uh the merchandising and stuff i mean i always loved they came out with those complete omnibuses of the Charlie Brown peanuts, and I've always wanted to get them, but they're just so darn expensive, yeah. and there's so many. And there's a million of them, yeah. And I think they're out of print now. Like, Dick Tracy had them, and I wanted to get the Dick Tracy's, but it's like volume 48, and it's like, ah, oh, it's so much. But for like, the completest that I am, and if I had the money and the space, I would love to get them, but it's just, there's so many, and it's just so much, I don't know. It's just hard. I have to complete Calvin and Hobbes stuff, but to be able to get stuff like the Schultz's or like the um, 
the Chester Ghoul stuff or Dick Tracy. It's just you need a lot of you need a lot of like you know shelf space for that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what did you you came across liking this or? Yeah, I mean, I liked it. Look, I, you know, yeah. I'm not as into the religious aspect of it as you are. You know, yeah. to be my my mind starts to wander. I start thinking about other things when Linus steps up to the to the spotlight. You know, you're checking your watch. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? Did um, I leave the gas on? You know, to me, it's not. You know, but I get mm. it. I mean, I, um, yeah. You know, look, it is what it is. It is a. Uh, I, I used to say, you know, like for anybody that thinks that, you know, there's always the kids have a, have a short attention span. I was like, that, that's not true because if kids are sitting through these peanut specials, they have the patience of a saint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because these babies do not move fast. Being retentive. They're ret- retaining all this stuff. Um, but and you're uh, certainly look, correct. It's a time capsule, you know? Yeah. It is what it is. Uh. I kind of wish there was the Coca-Cola stuff still in there. Yeah, I do too. It'd be cool to have an alternate version where you're able to see it. I mean, the the significance, the importance of Coca-Cola to Christmas is a whole other podcast. Oh, with Santa Claus. Considering and the that they created the, and, yeah. the imagery of Santa the, Claus the that we think of. The popular imagery of Santa. Um, but then without uh, this special, you wouldn't have been able to get, they wouldn't have had, I think, you know, Frosty the Snowman. You wouldn't have got the Grinch to still Christmas, the cartoon specials. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have got the Rankin and Bass um, those stop motion specials. I mean, you know, this really helped. There was a couple things before this. There was the yeah. like Mr. Magoo Christmas special and, and somebody else, you know, maybe Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. And because of the popularity of this and the and this and the specials that followed, like Vince Guaraldi made jazz mainstream. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, in sure. a time of rock and roll and getting into psychedelica. I mean, sure, you had, uh, you know, Take Five by Dave Brubeck was a bit of a hit, but uh, before this. But, you know, it definitely, you know, I'm not sure that music would have been treated the same way, like, say, in, the, in Sesame Street five years yeah. from now or something. You know, like, I feel like jazz became uh, a tr- an art, f- a musical art form geared towards children and i think this special in vince garaldi had a uh had a big part to do with that so yeah um yeah the, you it's know certainly I, weird i'd rather it be i don't want to get it personal but i'd rather be going towards jazz and what it's going to nowadays <laughs> what's what's with sesame street celebrating with the music eccentricities of it very weird but i certainly agree that yeah making it more kind of mainstream uh it's a beautiful music in a, in a style that that like you said now it's married it's almost married it's so iconic yeah vince garaldi's trio to charlie brown um it's almost one without the other you almost when you see the image you think of his music but when you see his mu- you hear see his music when you hear his music you think of charlie brown yeah they're, they're, it's they're, so weird married it's one and interconnected. thing now it's so... you know um it's kind of i guess it's almost like when you see the chuck jones um Grinch stuff, you think of the that you know, you're a mean one, you really are a whore. You know, it's like you, it's like, it's like, <laughs> you know, you think of that stuff, and you know, um, so it's just, yeah, it's interesting. And, and, um, I think out of all the Charlie Brown stuff, maybe aside from the the um, 
Great Pumpkin. You know, this is the, uh, certainly the most iconic and certainly the one growing up that I would watch every year. This was a mainstay with the Frosty. And the Buy a Household. And the Grinch, yeah. Although the Frosty one, I kind of, that, I don't know. I kind of, um, sometimes I'd like to put that down because I've seen that too much. Although, about six months ago, I was maybe at work again, and there was somebody there who was a contributor, meaning they just come in and they do an interview and they leave. And they were sitting there, and they said, they said, naughty, naughty, naughty. And he was referencing the magician from the Frosty. And I said, are you referencing (laughs) the magician, the bad guy from Frosty the Snowman? Messy, messy, messy. And he goes, yeah. And I go, Wow, and he's like, "Well, only there's only a certain brand of people who get that reference." And I was like, "Well, you know, you're looking at the guy, you know, very niche, niche." Well, anyway, anyway, this uh, bonus and episode he, is now lo- as long uh, as our episode. as our first two seasons of this. <laughs> anything you uh, recommend that you? I mean, we've talked about this in, in in memoriam, but is there anything you recommend at Christmas time? Anybody should check out or whatever that you know nowadays. Well, I mean, you know, Christmas time is uh, for me. It's it's Hallmark, twenty four seven. So I it is, and I saw you talking to somebody online recently about that, which is great because you know, um, I was in Nashville recently. I don't want to go on a whole right turn here, but I was I was at work. I was in Nashville for work. Was there two days and got COVID. So. Tested positive for COVID, quarantined to the hotel room. Can't do anything, got to stay there for five days. So I was stuck in the hotel room for five days in Nashville, which wasn't that bad because the hotel rooms all had kitchens in them. So it was pretty awesome. So I was watching a lot of TV. And what was I watching? Oh, I was watching Hallmark and, and thingies. I mean, if I wasn't watching Me TV, Perry Mason, Gunsmoke, uh, Bonanza, Rifleman, and all that stuff, I was watching. Um, you know, Christmas and Mystic. Oh yeah, I was <laughs> I was watching um uh the other one where they go and they get stuck on Christmas Island. <laughs> you know, they're flying and I mean, I was uh, there was about five or six of them I watched in a row and I was really into them. I was like, this is you know, it was really I was like, I, I need we need to get into this. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I've I think I've I've come to the conclusion that if I were to do a podcast full time again. I think I would want to do Hallmark movies or 21 Jump Street. Those are the two topics I think I could come back to podcasting on a full-time basis for. <laughs> what would be the what would be the um the format would be each um episode to be a new Hallmark movie? Yeah. Just like what we what we do now. I'd be doing that about Hallmark movies. <laughs> now, do you find it at all daunting? What the In fact the that they're all the, they're all the same? <laughs> no, that it's just like every year you get like thirty new movies yeah. for the season. So is it hard to like? Is it hard? Two part question: Is it hard to go back and watch older stuff because it's not readily available? Or maybe it is in the advent of digital library stuff. And two, is it daunting because every year you get like. 30 new movies and then it's just you, you know you, you're only getting stuff that's a year old or whatever well i mean that's for someone who's not i mean i, I don't feel free to tune out for the rest of this episode <laughs> <laughs> if you're not interested in the hallmark movie discussion and i, and I don't think we should talk too much longer because we're getting to the the wee small hours of the morning here but um in the wee hallmark channel and hallmark movies and mysteries 
which okay. is a, a separate Hallmark channel. I think yeah. there's even a third Hallmark channel, but at least those two. Bitches I'm, and hoes. I'm talking about like October 21st. They're running 24-7 Hallmark movies through New Year's. Yeah. So they drop all their other program. They're not showing the Golden Girls at night anymore. <laughs> you know, like every other piece of program they have is uh, takes a back seat and they're showing 24-7 Hallmark movies for two over two months. So that, yeah, like every Friday, Saturday, they introduce a new one, but you have 20, you have 12 movies a day, you know, two hour movies airing. So you get to see all the old ones. There are some that I'll watch again. If I like, oh, so they are airing the older ones. Yeah. They're fill, for filler. You got to fill, you got to fill that time, you know? So, yeah. so you, sure. The new ones you'll see, they'll air them. You know, once it airs, it's a for initial airing. You'll see it'll be on a few more times that season, but they're filling it up with all the other ones too. So, um, you know, now that I've been watching the other show I've been watching, and I'm now in the I'm halfway through the final season of Smallville, the woman that plays uh, Lois Lane, Erica Durant, she's in a few of them, which I never knew who she was before because I never watched Smallville. So now I'm starting to see that she's in some. I'm like, ooh, Lois is in this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, some of them are better than others. And it's amazing that now Netflix makes Hallmark-style movies. You know, sometimes they air on CBS on a Sunday night. We'll have a Hallmark-style movie. Uh, Fox Nation's even making freaking Hallmark. Yeah, so movies. like the the format of the a niches. the a genre of Hallmark movie has now become so popular that several other streaming services and network are making their own versions of them that aren't that much different. Sometimes, That's a documentary right there, Blake. The Hallmark movie, the, the nature of the Hallmark movie, the history of it, the evolution. Well, I mean, not just Hallmark, but it's the, I don't know what you would call it without infringing on a copyright, but the model that they kind of... Um, kicked the tires on and worked out yeah. has become that format has become yeah, the, yeah that's it the format has, become has now become so so widely known that they can sell those kinds of movies not just to hallmark anymore and hallmark was just what cards and, and ornaments i mean and I then guess, you go yeah you know and now look what they're doing they're making they're making all kinds of stuff so i think we should start penning because you also i know mean, we're getting him to getting along with this but you said there's um I mean, Dion's eating breakfast at this point. So <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm eating breakfast as we talk. <laughs> that's how late so, we've been talking. So you, you've even told me that um, there's series of creators who do this all the time. Oh, yeah. These movies. Directors. Yeah. Writers. Not just actors. Yeah. In fact, I've been kicking myself that my months off without working, I should have been writing a Hallmark script. Like to do a Hallmark Bigfoot script, so I can start selling my, I can become a Hallmark filmmaker. Well, I wonder dream. how hard it is to get into that because that's why I was watching the Mystic one, Mystic Connecticut, and I was like, they just made this last year, and it's like, wow, it's like they're just shitting these things out. Yeah, you well, know? you'll see if you look on like who directs them, who writes them. These people like that's what they do. You know, maybe they had, maybe they made a horror movie back at the beginning of their career, but now they just. Shit out, Hallmark. Hallmark. Movies every year. The guy who made the gate makes 
Hallmark movies? Jim Dukakis, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he makes Hallmark movies now. Because um, they're all shot in Canada, and he was a Canadian filmmaker. That's crazy. Because I know the the Connecticut Mystic one was some of it was shot in Mystic. Yeah, but you're probably right. Usually, and then would, usually they'll buy like <clears throat> they'll buy stock footage from like Shutterstock or something of like the New York skyline. But then once you cut to the inside, it's what I call New Hallmark City, not New York. <laughs> <laughs> New Hallmark, and that's what you know. What started me on watching this whole binge while I was laid up was I think I was catching the episode you told me about, which is about the girl who goes back to the town and she's going to buy the land and have her company move in, the real estate girl, and she's going to take the town over, but then she meets the guy there and she falls in love with the guy and then uh, she's trying to get the town not to uh, sell the land to her company because her company's going to not turn it into a, uh, like a small town anymore. They're going to turn it into like... Strip malls and all this stuff. Yeah, well, that's the plot of like at least thirty Hallmark. Oh, okay. Movies. I thought. See, you had told me that this was the plot of one of them. So when I caught this one, I was like, "Oh, this is the one he was telling me about." <laughs> so I was all in it, and I, I stayed watching it. And I was, you know, he had like a nice pickup truck, and he, I think he was like by day he made like uh, furniture or something like that. And Michael she, you know, Ironside was in one around autumn a couple years ago called Pumpkin Everything, starred Michael Ironside as really the as the dad. I just saw him in something where he was a. He was getting paid off in something. He was, a- and the interesting thing about watching Smallville is it's like the breeding ground because that's shot in Canada. Yeah. So you know everybody who plays bit parts in Hallmark movies like, ten years later, they all their first parts are <laughs> in small in, in Smallville. <laughs> Even a lot of the leading men show up in like one episode of Smallville. That uh, that's funny. The leader. So I'm like, oh yeah, yes. I know this guy. Schneider was telling me about the problems of like you know getting you you lose your vacation because you're up in Europe and Canada dual citizenship you got three days off and you got to work through Christmas that's yeah. what happens when you're on a series and then yeah you know, he was in a couple episodes of those um uh, the he did a couple Christmas movies recently which were pretty fun so yeah I, I'm I'm into it I lo- I'm loving all these freaking movies but there's just so many of them I'm, it's like jazz I get a little overwhelmed yeah. um to, to, I don't know where to begin but anyway Chuck Schultz Sparky Charlie Brown Christmas. God bless Charlie Brown. He's such a clown, that Charlie Brown. Um, 1965, it's a Christmas classic. We want to do this as a little extra for you, everybody out there, for a little Christmas present from us to you. We hope you've enjoyed it and all of our deviations, because we're deviants. And um, we've had a lot of fun times. We could have gone deeper and made it a longer cast, but, you know, it's just hard to try to stay on point and do yeah. it justice and stuff at the same time. Um any other notes I have here? Uh, we talked about the Ford commercial advertising. One, two, three, four, five. I always love that when she gives five reasons of uh, why not to do it. And then um, the syndicate. She mentions the syndicate, the Eastern syndicate. That's the 60s parlance for the mob, which is really weird. I never really realized when I was little because they talk about the syndicate and bullet. And I guess they weren't able to say the mob on TV. And that was the reason why they, they, they dubbed it the syndicate. You know, so and it's like, so she says that she's like, it's probably owned by some Eastern syndicate. I was like, oh, they're talking about the mob. So it's very in the weeds there. So, yeah, very good. 1965, uh, Charlie Brown, a lot of fun. Uh, we hope you guys have a great holiday season. Uh, Blake, what do you got? Anything? Same old score to death. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
documentary hopefully coming later this year or early the following year if we're lucky and uh of 2024 or the end of this year 2023 24 meaning uh, this coming year okay not um, like in a couple days no 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 okay uh and pick up the books that make great holiday gifts and of course follow me at score to death on social media sweet same with me um got some books check them out on amazon and ebook audiobook paperback oh they make great gifts we can sign them for you too if you want it you want them just um you know message us uh we like to say if you want to support us grab buy the books that's a great way of doing it and uh you can follow us the show is on instagram on facebook on twitter um i'm on facebook i'm on instagram i'm on twitter you can follow updates on us you can talk to us interact with us tell us what you like about the show what you don't like we like to also say too uh since it's the christmas season and uh, if you're liking the show, go back and check out the catalog. We've done a lot of great stuff. I forget if it was this episode or the Lapis episode that we were regaling everybody of what we've done. <laughs> well, we've done a bunch of Christmas episodes. We were doing two a year for a long time. So we've got at least, what, a dozen? A baker's dozen of Christmas episodes of all different genres. Yeah. Um, everything from Christmas, uh, Ernest Saves Christmas to freaking Emmett Otter, you know, and Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and Invasion USA. So go check it out. And... You know, we hope you like this. We'll see you in the new year. We've got some things planned. Uh, hopefully, they're fun and exciting. And uh, happy holidays. Please stay safe. Keep smiling. And as we always say, later. Mm-hmm.